fitting the heart of God. Okay, just rearrange things here. If I can, sorry, Pastoris. Probably should move this. All right. Well, this is the the first time I'm going to use um, a tablet to have my notes on. So hopefully we'll we'll be all right with that and uh, won't get lost. Know where we are. Normally use paper, but I didn't get it printed off. Well, it's great to be back here and sharing with you again. Uh, it really felt last week when we were here. It really felt like we were we were just home, and it didn't feel like we'd been away for three years. So, uh, you certainly are our family, and we we were blessed with the eight years that we shared among you. And it's it's really cool to be back. So, thank you very much. Uh, for, for letting us be here, for letting me share this morning. going to share a bit about what we're doing, but also bring the Word of God to you. Uh, why are we back? Uh, we're back here because we got our permanent residency there before we left, after seven years, and to keep that going, you need to be back here every three years. You need to pop in, pop out again. So we're back here every three years. Well, we're here this time anyway, so all our kids now have been back and we have another three years on our card. So that's, pretty, you know, that's not the only reason. We'd really love to come back and see you, uh, you all as well. So that's a real blessing. I'll get to that later. So there was this guy who came to a project site in New Zealand, one of our MMM projects. He was a digger driver and a drain layer. He came to... Uh, as a contractor, local contractor, to do the work on our project. And as part of our regular routine with MMM, we stop at morning tea time and we have a cup of coffee, sit and have a chat, but then we open the Word of God, we have a short devotion and time of prayer for the ministry, the work we're doing, the people. Uh, And so if there's non-Christians there that are just general contractors that are coming in to do their specific part, we just say, hey, we're going to have a devotion time now. You're welcome to stay, but if you'd like to head back to work, feel free. This digger driver decided to stay. So he sat in on the devotion and listened to what they did. And at the end, he started talking to Rodney, the guy that, that he was sitting next door to, and asking questions about what this was all about. See, MMM is a practical ministry. We go and help other Christian organizations with their building and maintenance projects. We're just going in to practically serve the people. But we're wanting our lives to be a testimony. And to this man, it was. Now, I'd love to be able to say he became a Christian that day, but no. But... He was opened up to the gospel, opened up to Christian things. And for me, that's a tremendous opportunity that MMM can provide. So what does MMM do? Well, there's a few photos here now that will come up on the screen of just some of the things that we do. We get involved in Christian camps, help them with their building projects. This was down in the South Island. Uh, We... Help on Christian Trusts. This is a drug rehab center in uh, Wellington area. 
We repainted it. Jeremy and Lainey Carroll, just to flick back there, Jeremy and Lainey Carroll, they work with the university students and the campuses uh, and share the gospel and and, uh, work with discipling. They have many come to the Lord as university students are at that time when they're questioning all about life. Evangelism Strategies had an old building that they use in their ministry, and that's the type of work we do. The transformations that we can bring. Our ministry, we we take teams overseas. So these are some projects in Tonga and Fiji, working with the local guys, getting in and helping them on a campsite there and uh, and on churches. The top ones were churches, a church in Tonga. All, All in the... The effort to see Christian organizations have facilities that are going to be really effective for them in their ministry. That's what I love doing. I love serving and being involved with a ministry that does that. We're a testimony of Christ. And that is a visual testimony. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. People need to see that, don't they? You can tell them as much as you want that we love one another, but they need to see it. And that's what MMM is about. I asked a a small group of, of our team leaders, our volunteers, the other day, what makes a successful project? Of course, they came up with the the initial responses. Well, you get the job done, you do it well. Uh, nobody gets hurt. Then they started to move into some of the things that I was really after, and that relationships are built, people are encouraged. Um, we glorify God. We do a job of an excellent standard that is a testimony. It's the, it's more than the project. It's not just a physical job we do, and so that's what I love about the work of MMM. We work with some great people, so there's some of our staff. We're down a few. uh, Some have just retired. Uh, There's others considering coming and joining with the work of MMM. We also have great teams of volunteers, people that can help for a day, come for a week, others that do a lot of time volunteering with us. And so it's through these ones that Really, the work gets done. We can coordinate, but you get all these helpers along and the job happens. And so it's exciting that people enjoy serving. Then there's the Robinsons. So that's that's our three kids. Um, Ave took the photo, so she put a photo there that she wasn't in. But um, very... Very pleased that our kids have all had a chance to come back and and see this place. Trent enjoyed walking around and uh, some of his memories, his childhood memories, and I guess putting himself in place and just figuring out who he was. So he's he's enjoyed his week. He's currently flying back to New Zealand at the moment. We actually stuck him on the plane yesterday and uh, the plane was delayed. He got to KL and it was delayed for the next flight or even further. And so this is the first time he's been flying alone and he was put up in a motel for the night and then his, his, uh, his flight got away this morning. So uh, I, think he's, I think he was coping by the, 
by the, the, face, the Facebook posts and, and all that sort of thing that we saw. Uh, the kids are still studying. Lance and Jacinda are in university studying. Trent has uh, got another year and a half of his high school to go. Ourselves, my role is the director uh, at MMM, so administrative. I'm no longer on the tools, which I do really enjoy doing. Ave's in the office with us. She's involved in short-term teams, but also as one of our office staff, as I said, had just retired, there's been a whole lot more administrative work that she's taken up, which has increased her workload. Um, but that's, that's life, and we're just praying for others to come in and join us. So that's a bit about what we've been involved with. And we're excited about the ministry. We're enjoying it. It's where God has us at the moment, and we're very thankful for that. God is, God is good. The kids have transitioned well back to New Zealand, and we're just so thankful to the Lord. Well, you are all here this morning. That's a funny statement to say, isn't it? How did you get here? What did you do to, to physically make it to this point? I want you to have a think about that. I'd like some answers, if you can give me some answers of where I'm going with this. I'm going to ask a couple more questions, but okay, so there we go. How did you get here? What did you physically have to do to get here this morning? Wake up, yeah, good start, really good start. I think they all, yeah, some of them might not have quite got that far, Lala, actually. Uh, okay. You walked. Man, you jumped in straight and you got here. Yeah, you walked. So some, that's something you've been doing for quite a long period of your life, right? Nearly as long as you've been alive. Because when that, that first first step happened, everyone was so excited about it. It's a major, major part of, of life, isn't it? And growing up from being a baby to, to being a child to, we need to start walking. And when that first steps are taken, it's so excited, captured on film, passed around on Facebook, they're walking. And then forever after that, you're running around trying to chase up to them to know, to know where they are. Taking a step is an important part of life. We're going to have a look at the, the, the person Nehemiah today. So if you'd like to take your tablets and your Bibles and things and turn to Nehemiah, we're going to read uh, part of Nehemiah's life. Now you may be thinking, oh man, you building fellas, you always talk about Nehemiah. You know, he built the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. Well, I'm not going to be talking about that. I'm going to start a little bit earlier, right at the beginning in chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, and look at a little bit about the steps that Nehemiah took. So let's read together. I'm going to have to put on some glasses. And I had to carry my big Bible. <laughs> it's easy in New Zealand because you hop in the car and then you hop out of the car, but when you've got to put it in your backpack, man. Let's read the Word of God this morning. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Keslev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, 
And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer that your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They, they are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, that is the king. I was cupbearer to the king. Chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of, the king, of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Lord, we thank you for your word. Father, teach us this morning. Challenge us with it. We want our hearts to be open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. When reading that story of, of Nehemiah, there's one thing that's different than a number of other characters that we know in the Bible, like Moses 
or Gideon. What happened to Moses and Gideon? They're standing before, you know, Moses was standing before a bush and all of a sudden it burst into flames and God called him to do a work. Gideon saw an angel of the Lord while he was thrashing wheat and was called to a particular work. Do you see anything that, like that here in Nehemiah's life? Nothing there, was there? There no special revelation, no lights from the sky, no flashing lights saying, go. No, nothing like that. He didn't get a call. What did he do? Nehemiah responded to a need. He responded to a need. He did something about the need that he saw. It wasn't a call, but it was a step of obedience, wasn't it? When something was placed before him, when something was wrong, and he could do something about it, he responded. Why did Nehemiah respond to this need? Why did he concern himself with a city that was a long, long way away? Next slide. We'll show you just the location of, of, what, of where he was. He was in the citadel of Susa. He was a captive. He wasn't in his own land. So the next, the next slide will show you where he was in relation to the land of Israel. He was right over here on the right-hand side. Jerusalem was on the other side, 1,400 kilometers away. That's a long way on a camel, isn't it? From here, probably, I worked it out, about here to Shanghai, nearly to Shanghai. That's a long distance, isn't it? So really, it wasn't his problem. He didn't live there. But why, so why was it that Nehemiah responded to this need? We can see it in his response. What did it cause him to do, this need? He wept and he fasted and he prayed because this was something that was hurting his God, his Lord. And because he knew this was hurting the heart of God, that what was happening in Jerusalem with the walls being b- broken down and, and not being repaired and the people not living as they should, it hurt him. He responded to God. He was in such a relationship with God that, that what hurt God hurt him. That's why he responded to this need. It was a long way away. Why bother? That's because it was it was his it was his homeland. It was where he was from, where his forefathers were from. But Nehemiah had never actually lived there. Nehemiah uh, Nehemiah was a Jew 
the people, the Jewish people were from Israel, but they'd been taken, taken captive. So we're going to give a little bit of a history here of just how it fits. And so we have there in 586 the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians because the people were disobedient to God. And after repeated warnings, God had said, you're going to go into captivity if you continue to disobey me. And so finally, after many, 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 many years, God took them into captivity by the Babylonians. A little bit later on, the Babylonians actually fell to the Medo-Persian Empire. We have that story of, of Daniel around that time. So, so that's 539. Then actually, because the Medo-Persian Empire came in, the emperor there actually sent a group back to Israel. And so the first group of exiles returned back to Jerusalem, back to their land. And in that process, uh, with Zerubbabel, they built, rebuilt the temple. Got the, the, the prophet Haggai in there as well around that time, 516. After the completion of the temple, the people had a form of worship, but it didn't really happen. It didn't really click and happen like it was meant to happen. And so they struggled. You've got the prophet Zechariah there, the story of Esther, which if you haven't read is a fantastic story. So jump in and read that. She fits in there. And then actually there was another return of a group of exiles in 458 under Ezra. And they went back. And this is 13 years later that Nehemiah gets this report and of what is going on. And that the people are back there. They've got a temple, but they're also susceptible from the, the nations around pushing in on them and probably in danger of being watered down and being assimilated into those nations again. And Nehemiah is concerned that they really need to build the walls to protect themselves, to claim back to what their God would want them to be. Yep, then you've got uh, ministry of Malachi after that. So Nehemiah thought of home and he thought, this is not the way it should be. What should I be doing? And so he prayed. He fasted. He said, Lord, what is it? I remember back to the, when Princess Diana was, was killed. You know, Charles and uh, Diana, things not going so good. And Diana was killed in an accident. And I remember seeing on TV... These people just absolutely weeping and crying outside the gates. And there was such an outpouring of grief when this wonderful princess that everybody loved was, was killed. And I said to Dad, I said, why are they so sad? They don't even know her. They've probably never met her. Why has it hit them so hard? And he said to me, you don't actually have to physically have met someone to have an emotional connection with them and to have a love for them. And being my dad, he then 
flipped it round and, and it became a spiritual object lesson. And he said, we've never met our, our, our Lord and Savior, but we love him. We have a connection and a relationship with him. And, and we, it should be an emotional thing as well. It's like, oh, okay. Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. He lived a long way away. Yet he had this emotional connection with it because of his God. And so he comes to his God and has this amazing prayer of connection, of, of, of confession to God. I'll go back a bit, actually. Why, why did Nehemiah have such a great, great relationship with his God? He hadn't lived in the land. He hadn't been at the temple and gone to do worship and, and sacrifices like they should have done as a people. How did he know about this God? Well, I guess the inference for me is that he had a, he had a heritage. He had, he had parents that, that shared this, this God with him. He knew the reality of God because of his parents what they had taught him, that really, you know, as, as a people, we should be in the land, but we're not. We're, we're in captivity because of our disobedience. And Nehemiah knew that, and he had it in his heart. The, the influence of parents, the teaching of parents is so important in our, in our world and in our kids' world. What are we teaching our children? How are we passing on the faith that we have into our children? It doesn't just happen. I'm going to tell you that. It doesn't just happen by them watching. They catch a lot of, of what they see. But it needs to be taught. God said to the people of Israel way back when he gave them the, the laws and the commandments, he said, teach them. Talk about them when you're walking along the path and when you lie down, when you sit up. Tell them. Write it on the doorposts and have it round your homes. They need to be told and taught. It doesn't just happen. So for those of us of parents and even of grandparents, what is it that we're passing on to our children? The faith that we have, the reality of the faith that we have. Our God is real. The God that I have impacts everything in my life. It's not just happening here on a Sunday and I do a Sunday thing. But they see it consistently in my life so that they can attach what I say with what I do. It's so important. Passing on intentionally our faith to our children. And Nehemiah was in this position because of the reality of his faith. He knew his God. He knew his God was a faithful God, faithful to the covenants that God had given to the people of Israel many, many years ago, faithful in love. Even though the people were in captivity and they were getting disciplined for, where, uh, for what they'd done, 
Nehemiah calls him a loving God. He was a a covenant-keeping God. What he said, God does. We can trust our God implicitly. Everything that God says, he will keep. An awesome God, great and awesome are his works. We have a powerful God. God works in the lives of people. God changes people. God does amazing wonders. And that was certainly what had been shared with Nehemiah. He knew about the things that God had done. But he also knew he was a holy God. And that as people, when we struggle, we're hurting the heart of a holy God. And he needed to come in confession for himself and on behalf of his people to God and ask for forgiveness. Do you have a relationship with God like that? Enjoying the faithfulness of God, passing that on to your kids? Enjoying the love of God, knowing that he's a holy God and when we mess up, While he's holy, we can come to him in confession. Because if we don't, it affects our relationship with him. It affects our relationship with God when we don't come in that response. So Nehemiah then prepares himself before taking that step prepares himself before God before taking that step and responding to that need. So what was his response? What could he do as a, as a cupbearer to the king, as a captive, as a servant? What could he do? Well, we know that he uses his position in the audience with the king. Yeah, he had a pretty good position, really. To be in the service of the king was was probably quite good. Pretty good benefits, you know, probably a nice place to stay. Yeah, the the job held its dangers. He was a cupbearer to the king. And if someone didn't like the king, Nehemiah would be first to know about it, you know. If someone poisoned the cup, wanted to poison the food, Nehemiah was first in line. So it had its dangers, but he had a nice job from that aspect in that he was, had audience with the king. But as we know from the story of even Esther, you don't just rock up to the king of Persia with a request. If you haven't read the story of Esther, do that and see what it takes to have an audience with the king. Because if the king's not happy and doesn't put out his scepter and accept you uninvited, off of the head. You don't just rock up to the king of Persia and ask for time off. And so, but that's what Nehemiah did. But what did he do? That little sentence is always a fantastic little sentence, isn't it? When asked, what can I do? You know, what's wrong? Why are you sad, Nehemiah? What does he do? Then I prayed to God and answered the king. He didn't go... Excuse me, King. I'll just. He didn't stop and pray. That prayer was just like that. 
He was in a situation where he needed God and he prayed and then he answered the king. Great. We, we can be in any situation and know that God is, is a listening God, is attentive. He's there. He's personal. And we can talk to him and he will answer. It just come to, come to mind. We put Trent on the plane and the plane was delayed there in KL. And this is Trent's first time traveling by himself. Um, he's not necessarily the most observant kid, you know. Life just goes on and he just wanders on through. Uh, and we're going on, though, is he going to make his connection? Is he going to find his gate? Uh, is he going to forget his bag? And now the plans have changed, and Trent likes to know the plans. Trent sort of likes his routine and just needs to know beforehand what's going to happen. And so we're just thinking of Trent in that situation. Things change, but we did. We pr- I prayed with him before he left, and, I, and, and he can know that his God is always there. Whatever circumstances that change in us, God is always there. We can pray to our God. So he responded to this need, used the position of where he was and asked the king for time off. And the king gave it to him, as we know, rent back. And and king gave him a whole lot of things and men and, yeah, cut down the trees and take the trees and, and we'll help you as much as we can. Wow. God's amazing, isn't he? God is incredible. God answers when we ask him. What is it? That so often stops us taking that step, responding to that need. You can probably think of some things, and if we had a little bit of time, I was going to sort of open it up and and let you discuss there. So if we flick on a a slide, we'll miss that first one, and um, we'll move just straight to the next one. These are probably some of the ideas of, of what you would have come up with and that, and asking that question, what is it that stops us taking those steps? You've just had a need put before you by Mike. There's a trip going to the Philippines from this church to help in, in Manila. What is it that's going to stop you taking that step? How are you going to justify not going on that on that team, Mike? You might get 150, 200 people on this team. Now you realise that. <laughs> The needs are great. So, what is it? Scared? In your mind, your God is not that big? Couldn't handle that situation? Maybe, like Nehemiah had to do, there's sin that stops you meeting a need about you. Often plenty of excuses, isn't there? The need has been put before you. What are you going to do about that? But this is just one need that's been put before you. There are many needs going on around you and in your situation and your life, your community, your work. What are you able to do about those? Do you respond to them? Or do you... I uh, didn't see that one. You're probably thinking about them now. Maybe the people that have come to mind, a person's come to mind right now. 
that you know that you should probably talk to because they're, they're struggling or they're hurting. I don't know. There's so many, operation, uh, so many opportunities and so many needs out there. And how are you responding? So it comes back to our relationship with God. Knowing who our God is. Knowing how big he is. Knowing the heart of God. And if we're connecting that well, then we'll be seeing the needs and we'll be able to help them. But if life is about me and I I just get to church on Sunday and didn't have time with God this week, it was a real struggle, then life is going to be about me instead of about responding to the needs that God puts before me. Don't have time to talk about this. But God is saying, take a step. Respond to a need. They are always before you. Let's pray. God, well, I thank you that you responded to the need that we had. You sent Jesus Christ to die for for us. The biggest need that we had was salvation, dealing with sin. You loved us that much that you responded. Father, may our hearts be so full of love for you and for others that our eyes see the needs. Our heart seeks to respond to them. You're such a wonderful God, a loving, a holy God, faithful, great and awesome. We know that. We want to live that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.